Well, good morning, everybody. It's really, really good to be with all of you this morning. I'm so thankful for the opportunity uh, to share with you on a cold morning. Um, I actually remember being here, I think, 30 years ago. And I don't know if some of you that have been around here for a while may, may remember the names Tom and Barb Richardson. Anybody remember the Richardsons? Yeah, they, they moved to Plainfield about 30 years ago where I lived. And I got to be good friends with uh, one of their sons. And we'd come up every once in a while for a basketball game and, and come to Bachelor Creek and, and walk around. And then... Um, it hit me again uh, earlier this week as I was preparing to come up here about 20 years ago uh, when I was a student at Cincinnati Christian University in my junior year I roomed with Darren Moranti and some of you know the Moranti family and uh, they, they've been always a real special special people for me and then about 15 years ago we hosted an intern at Plainfield Christian Church named Tyler Leland who started as a youth ministry intern, uh, but we found out that he was inter interested in going into children's ministry. And I happened to be the children's minister at Plainfield Christian Church at that time. And I will never forget this moment. Tyler and I were out on the golf course in, in Plainfield, and he had the gall to tell me that he had another offer from another church to become their children's minister. And I looked at him and I said, no way, man. We need you. You, you, can't, you can't go anywhere. And we brought Tyler uh, onto the staff at Plainfield Christian. We were so blessed by him and um, Adrian, of course. And, and then, of course, David Diener, as he served as an intern with us as well. So it's great to be with them today. And, and it's great to be here to share with you uh, as well. This morning, I want to start with a question, and it's really a question that I would assume in a, in a group this size that many of you have asked before. Have you ever been to that place in your life when you, when, when you look around at your life and maybe things didn't end up going as planned, and maybe, maybe, maybe life uh, took a detour on you unexpectedly? And have you ever been at that place when you looked around at your life and you said, how did I get here? How did this happen? How did I get here? For 10 years, I served as an associate minister at Plainfield Christian Church. And then in 2011, I was called to be the senior minister at First Christian Church in Columbus, Indiana. If you've ever been to Columbus, it's a, it's a really neat city. Uh, we love the city. We moved there. We accepted the call. Love the city. Love the church. Uh, me and my wife, Michelle, my, my three kids, we were enjoying a great season in life. And then in 2014, I started to develop some headaches. And they got, they, they got bad enough and severe enough that I finally made an appointment to go see my doctor. And he, he gave me a few medicines to try, and one of them was hydrocodone, or Vicodin. And that one word, by saying that one word, some of you know exactly where this story is heading. And I, I gotta be honest, I'd been prescribed Vicodin before for uh, several other minor uh, procedures. And I'll be honest, I always sort of liked the way that medicine made me feel, but I was always able to stop taking the pills when I was supposed to. But this time, in 2014, it was different. This time when I took those first two pills, I wanted the whole bottle. And basically that's what I did. Over, over the next few days, um, I took more than I needed to, and it felt great. The problem was I got another headache, and I didn't have any more pills. 
And so I called my doctor, and he called me in a new prescription. And that pattern continued for the next few months. Anytime I ran out, I would call my doctor. He'd call me in another prescription. He would sometimes up the dose. And this went on and on and on. About six months later, and after having used pain pills almost every day, along with another daily prescription of a highly addictive medicine, Xanax, for anxiety, I was hooked. And the problem was, my prescription wasn't cutting it anymore. At the same time, I'd gotten to know another young man in Columbus who had a drug problem. And in the midst of our conversation, I shared with him that I thought I had become hooked on my pain pills as well. And what happened next led me to a crossroads. He told me that he knew someone in town that had extra pain pills and that I could buy them from him if I wanted some more. You know, in our journeys of life, we all have moments that we wish we could go back and redo. I got plenty of them. I'm going to share some of mine with you today. My guess is you've got some moments like that as well. I wish I could go back and redo that moment in my life. I wish at that moment I would have been honest with my wife, honest with my doctor, honest with the elders at my church, honest with myself, and said, you know what, I need some help. I think I've become reliant on these things, and I need some help. But that's not what I did. I had too much pride. I thought I was in control, and I thought I just needed to keep things together and keep rolling with it. And so while I wish I could tell you I did the right thing, I didn't do the right thing. Instead, I started buying pain pills off the street and quickly worked my way up what's called the opioid ladder. Hydrocodone, oxycodone, oxycontin, morphine, opana. If it was an opioid, I had to have it. In fact, chasing the drug almost became an addiction in and of itself. And here's the crazy thing. I had a great church, a lovely home, Beautiful wife, three amazing kids, financial security, tons of of friends and family, but all of that began to fade as I became completely preoccupied with that drug. My wife would tell you that she knew something was wrong, um, but didn't know exactly what. She thought I was having an affair. And in a way, I was. I just wasn't having an affair with another woman. I was having an affair with, with a chemical. And I was just trying to keep everything hidden, trying to keep, trying to keep everything a secret, trying to be a husband and a dad and a pastor and a friend and just keep going because, and, and I know this is crazy, I didn't think I had a problem. Well, after a year of this, things had gotten so bad that I would do anything for more pills, which turned out to be a really bad thing because there came a point when my dealer didn't have any more pills and didn't know when he would be getting any more. And I kind of started freaking out because I was at the point where I'd get sick if I didn't have anyone, any, any pills. At which point he said, man, don't freak out. I got something else for you. Have you ever tried heroin? And of course I hadn't. 
But I did know that my pain pills were just a version of the same drug that was in heroin. They're opiates or opioids. And because I was desperate, and because I bit into the lie that I was in control and thought I, was, thought I could handle it, I started snorting lines of heroin and using anything else I could get my, my hands on, whether that was my own prescription that I still got from my doctor, the pills that I was buying off the street, or now the heroin, and also the Xanax that I was using multiple times throughout the day. And at this point in my life, things went from bad to worse. Every relationship in my life began to deteriorate. I was faking it as a pastor. I was a terrible friend. My teeth, my body were, were in bad shape. Didn't have any kind of fruitful relationship with the Lord. And my joy for life, which had always been really, really high, was gone. My life had become unmanageable. On July 26th of 2015, I went to bed but before I went to bed, I used some heroin. What I didn't know was that my line of heroin was laced with another drug called fentanyl, a drug 50 times more powerful than morphine, and I overdosed. <clears throat> my wife that night was sleeping in our living room out on the recliner. She was dealing with some neck and, and back pain, and at 2.30 in the morning, our little eight-pound uh, Yorkie knew something was wrong and went and peed at her feet to wake her up. And my wife came back to the bedroom and found me unresponsive. She called 911, and uh, when the EMTs showed up, they gave me a, a dose of Narcan. It's a drug that reverses the effects of an overdose. The problem was it didn't work. And so they administered a second dose, and thankfully that did begin to work, and I began breathing better, coming back to life. I was taken to the hospital, and then four hours later, sent back home. I'll be honest, the next few hours, and really the next few days, are sort of a blur in my mind, the minds of my, my family. This was new territory for us. We never experienced anything like this. We didn't have a long line of alcohol or substance abuse in our family or in our history. So I didn't know a lot about what was going on, but what I did know was that something had to change. It was the first time in this journey that I finally admitted, you know what, maybe I have a problem. Maybe I need to get some help. And thankfully, help came. Four, four days after overdosing, I was on my way up to Minnesota uh, to do a 30-day stint in a rehab uh, center called Hazelden Betty Ford. My parents uh, drove me up there. My, my dad's a senior minister down in Plainfield, and uh, he drove me up there. The last thing I said to my dad before he dropped me off was, I can't imagine my life without drugs. And I couldn't. I didn't think I could get better. I didn't think the joy could return. I thought I was too far below the surface. And I want to pause for just a second there because I know in a, in a group this size and those watching in, online, in a group this size, I know some of you are at that point this morning. 
and you're looking around at your life and whatever it is that you're struggling with and you're thinking, how did I get here? And can I even get better? And I want to tell you right now before I go any further is that the answer is yes. You can get better and you can find joy again and you can overcome whatever challenge that you're facing not because you have what it takes but because we know the one who does. Friends, we serve a God who is the master at putting broken pieces and broken people back together. The one who can reach below the surface and pull us up onto dry land. He can, he will, and he does. For me, I didn't know how I could live my life without drugs. But I'm thankful to share with you today, I am now five and a half years clean of my addiction to opiates and Xanax. And it, gets, and it keeps getting better. It really does. Thank you. It is getting better. But before it got a lot better, my story actually got worse. I came home from rehab, started putting my life back together, um, rebuilding my relationships with my wife and my children. Uh, my church in Columbus was incredibly gracious and allowed me to continue on um, in ministry there. About a year and a half later, I came home from church. It was a Sunday morning in December. Came home from church and realized that our home had been robbed. So I called the police, called my insurance agent, started the process of dealing with all of that. A few days later, the police called and informed me that they had reclaimed our stuff, but needed me to come down and identify it. So I went down to the police station, and sure enough, they had reclaimed most of our stuff, most of our belongings, and I, uh, I thanked the police officers there. But I'll never forget what happened next. The police officers took me to a small interview room and began to read me my Miranda rights. Long story short, they found our belongings with that young man that I had purchased those pain pills from a couple years earlier. And his story was that I still owed him a drug debt from a couple years earlier and that I had recruited him to stage a burglary at my home so that I could claim insurance money and settle the drug debt. Now, I can tell you in all honesty, um, during the time I was using, I made a lot of stupid choices, did a lot of stupid things, but that was not one of them. That part was not true. But in my efforts to uh, convince the cops of that, I did admit to purchasing some pain pills from him years ago. And when I did that, they did the math, and they realized that when I bought the drugs from him, he was underage. He was a minor. And that part is true. And every time I share this part of my story, get to this part of my story and share it with somebody, it's painful. Um, I'm embarrassed that that's part of my life story and to share that uh, with you this morning. And, and I can justify and, and tell you that, yeah, I, I, I was under the influence. I wasn't thinking straight. I was making a lot of poor choices but I also know I misused my position of trust and I negatively influenced that young man. 
And one of the things recovery has taught me is not to run from my past or to live in denial of my poor choices, but to own them and make amends for them and commit to doing better. And so, on March of 2017, I was arrested at my home and charged with two felonies. Insurance fraud and contributing to the delinquency of a minor for purchasing those pain pills from him. Spent a night in the county jail, uh, which ironically was one block from my church in Columbus. Of course, at that point, had to resign from my position there. Began working with a lawyer trying to figure out uh, what to do. And as the months passed, that insurance fraud charge was dropped. But I did plead guilty to the contributing charge, which is a Class C felony in the state of Indiana. The day before my sentencing hearing in October of 2017, I asked my lawyer what I was facing. I'd asked him that several times, and his answer continued to be the same thing. He told me that I was going to only be facing probation, that the incident had happened years earlier. I had gone to rehab. I'd gotten clean. I had started to rebuild my life, was contributing to society in a healthy way uh, currently. And so I looked at my lawyer, and I said, okay, so you're saying the judge is not sending me to prison, right? And he said, well, if she does, you'd be the first. Well, I was the first. The judge sentenced me to seven years, three years in the Indiana Department of Corrections, and four years suspended on probation. I have a new lawyer today, and he's told me that I am the only one in the nation that has been sent to prison for that charge. And I tell you that this morning, not that you'll feel, feel sorry for me. I did something wrong that needed to be addressed and needed to be punished. I just tell you that to convey my surprise and my family's um, shock that happened as a result. My, my lawyer, even in that, that hearing, asked the judge if I could have a few days to put my affairs in order. And she said, no, I'm sorry, the sheriff's here. And I was let out of the courtroom in handcuffs, began my sentence. I ended up serving 15 months in the Putnamville Correctional Facility in Greencastle, level two prison, and was released two years ago this past January. And honestly, my time in prison is probably the topic for uh, another occasion. Maybe I can come back and share with you about that at some point, or maybe not. <laughs> All I'll say is this. I, you know, I had never seen hopelessness until I got to prison. And I've been all over the world. I've been in several third world countries. I, I had never seen pain and suffering and sadness like I saw in so many of the, of the guys that I met there. Of course, at the same time, I ended up making some incredible friends while I was there who taught me so much. I learned so many powerful lessons during those months. You know, when everything is stripped away from you, both literally and, and figuratively, you're left to figure out what kind of man you want to be. You, you're left to figure out what you want your life to be about. I've been home for two years now. I'm still in recovery, grateful for the people that stood by me, grateful for the lessons I've learned along the way, but I still have a long way to go. I love the words of that John Mayer song, I'm in repair, I'm not together, but I'm getting there. 
And while I'm no expert, there are some things that I have learned along this journey that I want to share to start winding down. Yeah, I shared this testimony uh, about a year and a half ago where, where I go to church in, in Mooresville. And when the senior minister first asked me to share, he told me he was calling his series that I was preaching in Life Hacks, sort of like this Rooted series that you're in. He called his series Life Hacks. And he was going to talk about different situations, loneliness, depression, anxiety, addiction, different situations that unexpectedly hack our lives and change us. And I like that concept. That, that, that resonated with me. Maybe that resonates with you. And as I thought about it, I really just want to share two thoughts this morning. Number one, I don't know if life hacked me or if I hacked my life. But either way, God is in control. And what I mean by that is this. Were there factors outside of my control that led me into addiction and led me into incarceration? Definitely. Did I do a lot of the damage myself? <laughs> Definitely. But regardless of who's responsible, God still reigns on his throne. Psalm 27 verse 1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? You remember who wrote those words? King David wrote this when he was in trouble. When his life had been hacked, but it didn't crush him because he knew ultimately the Lord was his stronghold and would see him through. Look, I know when you're in the midst of it. And again, I know some of you right now, you came in this, into this room this morning and you're in the midst of it. You're dealing with an addiction or lust or anger or fear or resentment or worry or shame and you're just barely keeping your head above water and you start to wonder, where is God? Does he even hear me? Does he even care? I don't feel God. And I would just tell you, you know, you just, you, you can't always trust your feelings. But you can always count on the truth. And the truth is, even when you can't feel God, he is on the move and he is working on our behalf. Revelation chapter 1 verse 17 says, Then he, that's Jesus, placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. Don't you feel the strength in those words? I am the first and the last. He is in control, friends, through the calm and through the storm. And secondly, if I believe that first part, that he really is in control, then I also have to believe that God can use my pain for good. That somehow, in his mysterious plan, he's going to take my brokenness and your brokenness and do something great with it. And one of the first things he wants to do with our pain is to bring us closer together. Think about it. If you want to be close to someone, you don't go up to tell them, hey, you remember back in high school and I won homecoming king in a landslide? If you want to be close to somebody, you don't go up to them and, and, and tell them, you know, I just sold my business for $5 million. You don't go up to somebody and say, my kids are definitely smarter than your kids. 
No, if you say, if you say stuff like that, they'll walk away. The people will be repulsed by that. But if you go up to somebody, a, a friend, and, and you say something like, you know, I've been struggling with depression lately, and I've been having some dark days. If you say something like, you know, I'm really worried about my kids, and it's got a grip on me. It's keeping me up at night. I'm losing sleep. If you go up to somebody and you say, you know what, whatever it is that you're struggling with, you might think people will turn away, but the opposite actually happens. People are drawn together, and God begins this incredible healing work. You know, they say that the opposite of addiction is not sobriety. The opposite of addiction is connection. And I think you can substitute any struggle, any sin, any addiction, any hurt, habit, hang up. And the opposite of that struggle or sin is connection. It's the healing balm. And, and by the way, isn't God good? <laughs> and isn't God good that, that, that not only would he give you and, and give me talents and abilities and gifts and blessings to, to use to further his kingdom and, and, and to enjoy our lives, but, but that he would also use our baggage and our scars and our wounds and our fears and our failures to somehow reflect the kingdom of God in a different way? I mean, isn't God good that he does that? And yet we shouldn't be surprised. From the beginning of history, God has made it clear that he is on a path to fix and heal and restore all things. And if right now you are in a dark moment and don't know where life is going, and you feel out of control, and like no one understands, listen to these words from 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. You know, I used to think that God did his best work on the mountaintop. Now I believe God does his best work in the valley. My name is Justin, and I'm an addict. And maybe you are too. In fact, isn't that what sin is? Just an addiction to doing things our way instead of God's way? I mean, maybe you're addicted to gossip or to food or to pleasure or to lust or to greed or to fear or to anger. I mean, in a way, aren't we all addicts? But that's not all we are. We are also children of God, the sheep of his pasture. We are the household of faith. We are brothers and sisters. We are the servants of the king, a king who loves us and who has a plan for us and who has promised to never leave us nor forsake us. Friends, no matter where life takes us, he is still the king 
and his kingdom never ends. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, you are so good. And today I'm reminded once again of your incredible grace and your mercy that was extended to me and I know is extended to every person here. In fact, as we've been reminded already a couple times this morning out of John chapter 3 and verse 16, that you loved the world so much that you sent Jesus to die for us. And that gift that he paid on the cross is now for every man, woman, and child on the planet. And so we give you the ultimate praise today for making that possible. And I want to pray specifically right now for anyone who may have come today hurting, addicted, lost, suffering. I pray that even today, God, there may be a light of hope in their lives to know that healing is possible and that you are on the move. Thank you for what you've done for all of us, most, most importantly through Jesus, your son. It's in his name we pray. Amen.